We're coming down to the end of the line here in the Sermon on the Mount. If you're just joining us, you missed about 30 sermons, so, you know, catch up online. That's one of the beautiful things about the wisdom, the truth, the authority, the teaching of Jesus is you could really just jump in anywhere, <laughs> and, and with an open heart, the glory of God can hit you. I mean, there's certain, certainly a sequence that Jesus intentionally lays out and builds upon, but if you haven't been with us, I trust that the Holy Spirit has plenty to, to say just through this passage today. But it is interesting to see the intentionality of Jesus as we're coming to the end of the line, so to speak. This passage we're going to lead today or read today, explore, is the last line in the body of the teaching. And then next week is going to be essentially his altar call, <laughs> his response. Like, what do you do with all this? As he's just laid out a whole visionary manifesto for all of life. How do we respond? What's Jesus' expectation? So that's next week. So this is really kind of the closing line in the body of his sermon. And we did look at it in depth last week, the very last line, because I believe it is key, the key to the entire message where Jesus said, God's will is that you know him. And through the entire visionary manifesto of life that he's painted, if we've missed the point that God's will is that we know him or that the purpose of our life is knowing him, then we've missed the point of Jesus' teaching. Because that's what it's all about. Everything he gives us is to be funneled into that filter of this is to help me know God more. And so we spent the entire message honing in on that as the very last line. But I did skip the four or five, six lines that it's all together with. Because it's just too much for some Sunday, one Sunday. And in my, you know, growing maturity Sometimes I decide to stop after 40 minutes instead of going for an hour and a half. So I'm learning. So we're coming back this week. Thank you, Frank, for being excited about that. I saw who that was clapping. I normally don't look at the audience, but I looked who clapped on that one. Sorry, this is bothering me. Um, so here we go. We're going to look at essentially the last section and have some fun with that. Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works, many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. So depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. <laughs> you 
You know those moments in life when it's appropriate for a serious conversation? I know we're un uncomfortable at times, right, with serious. It's much easier to keep things lighthearted, entertaining even. But enough has transpired between Jesus, his followers, his listeners, much like in our lives, when enough has transpired, when you trust each other enough, you care about each other enough to, at the right time, be serious because life is serious. The stakes are high. And that's what Jesus is doing here. We come to the end of the body of the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus is speaking some very strong words of, of frank warning to his followers to be sober and cautious about who they allow to influence them. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. That's a warning. And it's so interesting that it's coming right at the end. Jesus has painted this beautiful, powerful, life-giving, abundant life that's possible picture of God's will for us. It's the picture of salvation. It's the picture of the kingdom of heaven. As it is in heaven, so also on earth, into our lives. It's breathtaking. It's awesome. There is no greater vision anywhere than what Jesus has painted in Matthew chapter 5 to 7. So there's a serious nature about it at this point. In the sense of this kingdom of heaven is not just going to magically show up in your life. That's where he talked about the easy road that leads to destruction and the hard road that leads to this abundant life. It's your choice, Jesus says. And now he goes <laughs> along that same serious degree of calling his followers to assess who are you allowing to influence you? Because some voices out there are dangerous, like a ravenous wolf. I'll be honest, that's, that's in the perpetual optimism that seems to be my personality, I have a hard time with that. I have a hard time accepting some people are going to intentionally deceive you. I don't want to believe that. <laughs> Just Jesus says that they're going to be wolves in sheep's clothing, meaning they're going to look safe. They're going to appear to be good. They're going to outwardly seem kind, good, harmless, but in fact are a deceiver, leading you in a direction that is dangerous, even destructive to your soul. They'll do the destruction of a ravenous wolf let loose in the sheep's pen. I, I just got to be honest. I got to wrestle with that. That's sobering. I don't naturally want to believe that. Jesus goes on to say, you will recognize them by their fruits. I think this is really, really key. How do you recognize who the false prophets are? He says, you'll recognize them by their fruits. 
Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? He goes on and on. Every tree that is not very good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. You will recognize them by their fruit. What is the fruit of false prophets? And let me back up real quick. Because that word prophet can throw us off. It's used in a lot of different contexts throughout the Bible. So it's got thousands of years of context and history. And it does mean different things in certain places. In this context, Jesus is referring to someone who simply claims to have a message of truth. That is one of the functions, one of the realities of a prophet or someone who says they're a prophet. They claim to have a message from God of truth. But if you think about that, in real life, you don't have to be saying, someone doesn't have to be saying, God says, or thus says the Lord, in order to be, at the same time, claiming that they have the truth. I mean, anyone who claims to have the truth a truth claim, a claim of objective truth, that's an authoritative claim. That's claiming that, because there's only one source of truth, and it's God. So if something is true, truly true, then it is from God. And that's where for our world, even though our culture says, oh, we're in this postmodern world that's relative and there is no such thing as truth, it's like, yeah, right. There's no such thing as truth until I have a different opinion than you. And then I'm wrong and you're right. And I'm a bigot and you're not. I mean, it's like, it's the intolerant tolerant. There's a claim that, oh, yeah, well, sure, you know, just believe whatever you want to believe. And that's fine until I believe different than you believe. Then you, then you found your objective truth. So let's not get deceived by the language of our culture that tries to say, oh, you just everybody have your own truth. No one's living by that. <laughs> and in some ways, for good reason, because <laughs> when you start talking about values and opinions, you're getting in that realm of truth, which is getting, you're digging down into the layers of what is real, what is spiritual, what is lasting, what has value. And there is no way to live other than to have a hierarchy of value. And anybody who tells you otherwise is lying because every decision they make in their life is based on, in their opinion, a hierarchy of value. And so it's absolutely insane to say that I can live with my own hierarchy of value and you can live with your own hierarchy of value in society together. No way. Because what if my hierarchy of value says, you have something that I like, it's mine. You cannot live in a civilized society with differing views at the top of what is most valuable. We have to work it out. That is what the Founding Fathers, by the way, good to go American for a moment, that was the point of free speech. Not all ideas are created equal. Some ideas are terrible, and some ideas are going to clash with one another. So if you have free speech, you have a place to work out those ideas and let those ideas battle it out till the truth emerges. That's the idea of it. Anyways, 
you will recognize them by their fruit. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. What's the fruit? There's two ways to look at it. One is you can look at the entire Sermon on the Mount to determine the kind of kingdom fruit that Jesus has in mind. And that's important. But from this passage itself, Jesus lists only one thing as the fruit that lets you know you should not follow them. And it's this. I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. So a simple question to ask when considering how to discern a quote-unquote false prophet from someone with the true words of life, according to Jesus, I believe that what he's saying is, in the utter simplicity of it, are they propelling you to know God more? Do they know God in the authentic way, and are they passing that on to you? Are they propelling you to know Jesus more? Maybe an expanded version of that question could be something like this. Are they encouraging you to grow as a follower of Jesus, to ultimately worship Jesus in spirit and in truth, and become more like him in character? And that's where you can look back at the Sermon on the Mount. Everything in the Sermon on the Mount, as we looked at extensively last week, is ultimately taught by Jesus in order to help us know God better and be transformed to become more like Jesus. Those are the things. <laughs> it's the purpose for your life, to know God and be transformed to become more like him. And you could get into the very specifics in the Sermon on the Mount as you're, in a sense, being called by Jesus to assess who you allow to influence you. You can go back through the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you're wondering, hey, should I allow this person to influence my life? Well, are they helping me to know God more? Are they helping me to be transformed to be more like Jesus? If that's not answering it, you can get more specific. Read through the Sermon on the Mount. Look at the kingdom fruit that Jesus talks about. It's all over the place. That's what so much of the Sermon on the Mount is about. It's about the kingdom fruit that's available, possible, for your life when Jesus reigns as king. Things like pursue reconciliation and forgiveness. That was like the first ethical teaching he gave. Matthew 5, 21. Pursue reconciliation and forgiveness as a way of life versus holding on to offense, anger, and bitterness. That's the first teaching Jesus gave. So that's kingdom fruit versus fleshly fruit. You could go on. And he talks, oh, man, just you can find it all over the place. Pursue purity of heart versus giving in to the lust of the flesh and all of the bad fruit that comes with it. Pursue a true love of enemies and a willingness to pray for those who persecute you. You want to know what kingdom fruit looks like? Just read the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> it's all over the place. So that does give you, give us, a deep dive into discerning the fruit in people that we are allowing us, allowing to influence our lives. And let me put an emphasis that I believe Jesus is calling us to. 
When he says, beware of false prophets, you will recognize them by their fruit. Beware. It's interesting. In this context, he doesn't say anything about you going to the false prophet and telling them that they're a false prophet. Or he doesn't say anything in this context about trumpeting it on Facebook or starting a podcast to tell everyone about the false prophets. The emphasis in this passage, and I'm not saying that there isn't a place to call out truth. I'm just saying what's Jesus's emphasis? And like almost everywhere in the Sermon on the Mount, his emphasis is on personal responsibility. He doesn't say beware of false prophets so you can start a blog about them. He says, beware of false prophets so you can take personal responsibility for the fruit in your life by whether or not you allow them to influence you. That's a huge difference. Because right now, there's a whole like wing of the body of Christ that thinks they've been called by God to call out false prophets They've even given themselves a name. They call them discernment pages. I would call them judgmental criticism pages of fellow brothers and sisters because that's primarily what it is. Now, I got onto those pages because I have one of my own, so I wanted to see who my competition was. Kidding. I got there because I liked a message by a particular pastor. And so the YouTube algorithm says, oh, he likes this pastor? Where There's another YouTube you know, uh, podcast with this pastor's name in it. So it suggested that to me. So it wasn't positive about this pastor. It was the judgmental criticism of what I would say is a, a very, very small line in one message taken wildly out of context that in other places that pastor has specifically addressed and said that is not their theology, what they're being critiqued for, and that was not their intention. And if you listen to the whole message, it's pretty clear that it's not. And yet the you know discernment pages don't seem to care about that. They seem happy to get on the high horse and rail on people and grow their brand and get more and more followers and likes by critiquing people. And so where I get get upset is that it's like I look at this pastor who's getting critiqued. And it's it's weird because it's like you take these discernment pages. It's like, oh, well, the Bible says to be discerning about false prophets and those kind of things. So I, I, I have this righteous moral obligation to tell the body of Christ. But it's, it's so dangerous. This gets back to the Matthew 7, 1, where Jesus says, do not judge one another. For to the degree you judge, you will be judged. And Jesus talks about this vicious cycle that's going to happen. If you become that judgmental critique of your fellow brothers and sisters, you are going to create an atmosphere of judgmental critique in the body of Christ. Where everyone goes around nitpicking each other to death about all their little problems and supposedly what you said here and there and out of context. And it's just the body, I believe Satan loves that. Like, yeah, let the body of Christ eat itself. 
critique itself to death, beat itself to death. I, well, we got to be so careful not to critique people because they're our brothers and sisters. I think it's healthy to critique a wrong thought, a wrong idea, but to then immediately sweep them into this huge category of false prophet, false teacher. Because it's like, okay, I've been in that guy's presence many times. I have been unbelievable this pastor that's getting critiqued, I have been unbelievably blessed. I have been brought closer to Jesus. I have been encouraged. I have watched this person do ministry that is clearly anointed by the Holy Spirit to bring salvation, to bring healing, physical healing, emotional healing, deliverance from the enemy. I've seen this person send out thousands of people through a ministry school. I've seen this, people, this person go to great risk demonstrate a, a faith that has an amazing amount of trust in God like few other people I've seen. Now, is this, per, is this pers, person perfect? No. Have I, I've listened to messages where I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, not the greatest, or I, I didn't quite agree with that, or this and that. But it's just like, oh, man, we got to be so careful. These are generals on the front lines laying down their life on behalf of the body of Christ. And we got some 25-year-old self-righteous Pharisee in, the, in his mom's basement on his Mac, you know, trying to just rip the body of Christ to death. It's like, let's not get good at that. Let's get good at looking in the mirror on how we can take the log out of our own eye and grow and if we do see problems in others, then, then be discerning about not allowing people to influence you that are not helping you grow closer to Jesus. But let's not get good at critiquing every little thing to death. Especially when we then, oh, one thing, now they're a false teacher. We're on the same team. <laughs> the team is not perfect. And that's okay. Jesus is. That's kind of the message. And we're all growing. But the main point that I believe Jesus wants us to ponder, the broader point, is to, be, is to recognize that we are being shaped all the time by the people the ideas, the worldview, the vision that we are allowing to be in our orbit. That's how human nature works. We are going to be influenced by the people we spend time with, by the people we look up to, by the people we listen to, by the people we learn from. I remember hearing a long time ago a, a, a good little quote from Jim, Jim Rome where he says, you are, going the, oh wait, what does he say? you are going to become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I think it's a good thing to think about. Now, I don't know, I don't think, I'm not like hanging my hat on that's 100% true, but he's getting to something that I believe simplifies and puts in an easy way to remember that Jesus emphasizes, which is be aware be a good steward 
of those you allow to influence you because you are going to become like those you are around. In a sense, that's the whole hope of discipleship. That's why Jesus calls us to be his apprentice, to learn a way of life from him. That's why Paul goes on to say, imitate me like I've imitated Christ. Imitation, who you hang around, you ultimately emulate and imitate. And that is meant to be a good thing. It's meant to be a discipleship process where ultimately Jesus is the one we want to imitate. And so we intentionally allow and cultivate people being in our lives that have got a little bit more of Jesus than us in that particular area or a lot more of Jesus than us in that area or they have great fruit in their life in that area or they have a powerful testimony in that area. And we say we, wanna, we want those people to be around us because that's how discipleship works. We emulate and imitate those we're around. And we ultimately, by the power of the Holy Spirit and human nature, how it works, we become like them. And so that's where Jesus is saying, so that's why we have to be aware of the fruit in people's lives and how we are allowing them into our life because they will influence us with the fruit they have in their life. And so there's an important question for us today. It's very similar, I believe, with a weird twist the question that Jesus is asking his followers then and now is essentially, who are you allowing to influence you? Who are you giving authority to shape how you think about, see, and interpret the world? We live in a world now because of the digital, because of technology, because of the internet, where those who we allow to have authority and influence over us to shape our worldview, to shape how we see the world, think about the world, interpret the world, approach the world, those don't even have to be people that you know in person. And frankly, they don't even have to be people anymore. It could just be a news media outlet, a particular channel. It could, in the future that's coming like tomorrow, it could be AI. It could be an app that answers questions about life. And trust me, the younger generation are going to it quickly. Just like the kind of millennials went to Google, the younger generation, it's just going to be normal. You have a question about life? Well, ask chat GPT. Truth. And the danger is those programs like Google have the worldview of their programmer, not of the word of God. So a discernment needs to take place. In some ways, that's all of this comes back to the power and importance of knowing the worldview of the word of God. Matthew 5 to 7, in my opinion, is the most succinct, su succinct, comprehensive 
picture of that worldview. It's Jesus's succinct worldview, his vision for life. So if you want to start somewhere, memorize Matthew chapter 5 through 7. It will get you so far into the worldview of God. But we got to be aware in this world, I mean, digital, social media, what do they call people that like to tell the truth? Influencers. That's the goal of every young kid now, is they want to become a social media influencer. And the people that they like and follow on Instagram and, and Snapchat and Twitter, X, all that stuff, social media influencers. There is, you know, in a sense, those people are not even hiding the fact that they have a message of capital T truth that they want to share. I want to influence you in such and such category. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with that. It just means we have to be utterly discerning. Who are we allowing to influence us? Because every single person out there who's fighting for you to click and watch and like and subscribe and has an advertisement on it, they are fighting to influence you. Discernment is a good thing <laughs> when it comes to recognizing, is this the worldview of the Bible and am I allowing it to influence me? I'll give one example that is a hard one to even say, but When we stayed open during COVID in defiance of the governor, that was for a particular reason that is this right here. We didn't set out to say, you know what? I just want to defy the governor because he's a punk. Like we closed down for six weeks. We closed down when everyone else was told to close down. And then a series of events started to taking place where the message the narrative that was being told to us that we, as a body of Christ, all listened to started to clearly not line up with reality, not line up with truth. And two years plus has borne 101 different ways where it was either duplicitous, intentional, unintentional, but in many different ways, the message of you need to stay at home, you cannot gather to worship because of such and such reasons, although casinos can stay open, although strip clubs can stay open, although pot dispensaries can stay open, and such and such, and, and me being the governor, I can go in a closed room with 14 of my closest healthcare worker friends and run up a $6,000 wine tab while I say, you can't have Thanksgiving with granny because you're going to kill her. If you do have to meet, stay outside and don't you dare sing because that would be whatever. So at that point, my eyes were opened. 
I mean, I am a American born and raised. I'm born on the 4th of July. I have no I have no hope but to be a patriot. I have no hope but to love America and believe in its institutions. I want them to work. I want to believe in them. And so this was I I, I had a hard time with this sobering awareness that I cannot trust the words coming out of that person's mouth. They are, and here's the fruit, two pieces of fruit, apocalyptic fear and tyrannical control. Anytime, that's not kingdom fruit. Anytime your leaders are motivating you through you're going to die fear, and the solution is give me more of your rights and let me control everything. I now have a lens that says, that's not kingdom fruit. No. I may have stepped over my boundaries, but I'm okay with that. (laughs) Because in the world we live now, unfortunately, many of the people we're supposed to just be able to trust, we cannot trust blindly. We have to do our own thinking. We have to do our own research. And a lot is on the line for the sake of the kingdom of God advancing in you and through you. And so, 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 (laughs) let me close with this. There is a very positive aspect to this which is, are you intentionally building your dream team of who you want to influence you? I believe this is one of the great privileges in life. You get to build a team of positive influences. So are you intentionally spending time, effort, and energy with those who you want to learn from and become more like because you see Jesus in them. Those who ultimately sharpen you to become more like Christ. Those who help you know God more and become more like Jesus. That is a great privilege. A dream team. Are you building your dream team of influencers? And back to our world that we live in in this digital age, that dream team can include people that are digital. I mean, we have access right now in the body of Christ to more information than ever in human history. And while that can come to us in deception, it can also be an unbelievably positive tool. You can listen to all of the great books of history, including the Bible, for free at any point through the tools available. You can have access to almost every preacher in the world, (laughs) present and going into the past and forever in the future now. So there is literally, the, the world is at our fingertips. So part of... The stewardship of our life is, are we intentionally building that dream team of influencers so what's shaping our minds every day 
by what we put into it is kingdom of God. The good news of the kingdom of God. The good news of the kingdom of God. If we're not being shaped by good news, cut it out. That's not, I don't mean don't be informed. Stay informed. But what should shape us is the good news of the power of the kingdom of God at work in the world, in us, through us, available as, in greater measure as we seek him. That should be what we're seeking. What's the good news that gives us hope that God's not done with me or my family or my church or my city or the world? If you're not inputting, if you're allowing influences that are not increasing your hope, that God's not done with you yet. That's the good news. He wants to transform you from one degree of glory to another. So can life get better? Well, until you're perfect like Jesus, there's hope that your life is going to get a lot better. And so are we filling our minds with the kingdom of God good news that is increasing our hope on the daily? And that's from cyber sources and in-person, good old-fashioned Humans, that's an important source too. So build your dream team so you become more like Jesus. Let's pray. Dance like day.